The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about understanding Robin Williams, the sad clown. Understanding what led to his demise. His suicide, August 11th, that's when he was found dead at age 63. There's been a lot of speculation so far. I actually have been so uh, sad about his death that um, I haven't actually been able to talk about it before now, not in any kind of public forum or writing or whatever, Um, because it seems like such a tragedy, and particularly it seems like such a preventable tragedy. I mean, he wasn't run over by a car um, walking along the road or bicycling, as he liked to do, up in Marin County in Northern California. Um, He wasn't, you know, he didn't have any other kind of accident that um, was a sudden kind of catastrophe. And, yes, there have been some um, allegations about the fact that he might have been Um, uh, suffering from some physical problems, and I'll be talking about that today. But And we certainly know that he was having psychological problems. But um, he left so many clues. I mean, people had seen for months and months that he looked depressed. Um, they, They saw that he lost a lot of weight. In fact, some friends say that just in the last couple of months, he lost 20 pounds. Um, there are pictures of him for months looking incredibly sad, unshaven, um, just a tragic figure. And why, why didn't do anyone do anything about that? Whether it was his wife, who should have done something, or friends, or a manager, or people he was working with. I mean, he, he, didn't, he wasn't a total recluse. And there were lots of people who should have done something about his, what they all perceived as his having severe psychological problems who didn't. And as a psychiatrist, that, that really just blows my mind. And it's not just about people in his life, like his family and his friends and his work colleagues and so on. It's also the mental health professionals that didn't do enough. Um, we know, for example, that uh, in, he left a rehab center, Hazelden, um, in July. And I certainly believe that they should have put him on, well, that they were one of the people, and certainly as, as a mental health facility, they should have put him on what's called a 72-hour hold 
they should have um, caused him to become an involuntary patient. They should have brought him to a, a, uh, a psych emergency room and if they don't have the facilities to keep people who are suicidal. I mean, essentially, Robin Williams was committing suicide for almost a year, a slow death before everyone's eyes. I mean, yes, um, on, April, on August 11th, he was found dead. Uh, he had hanged himself. There was um, the night before, the last person who saw him alive was his wife at 10.30 at night. They said goodnight. They each slept in um, different rooms quite far at, at opposite ends of his um, rather large house, a <laughs> uh, mansion. And, um, and they said goodnight. And then the next morning, um, his personal assistant, longtime personal assistant, came to the house and found him. Found him, you know, he was already dead. And um, he had hanged himself with a belt from his closet. And he had um, made some wounds, um, tried to originally cut his wrist, wrist on uh, his left wrist. Um, and then, you know, that apparently wasn't quick enough, or for whatever reason, he chose to hang himself instead. Um, I keep waiting for there to be, for someone to find, or maybe they did find, and they're just not making it public, like his wife, for example, um, a suicide note. A man like Robin Williams, who was incredibly creative and had so much to say and so much to observe, um, it just doesn't seem believable to me that he wouldn't have written a suicide note, especially since he was depressed for such a long time and must have been contemplating suicide for a very long time. So it seems like he would have wanted to say what he, whatever he wanted to say before he left the world in a literary kind of way or a significant kind of way. There was something he would have, or some things that he would have wanted to tell the world before he died. And so, um, you know, I don't know whether we'll ever know whether there was a suicide note. Perhaps his children or her child or his wife or whoever he sent the note to um, doesn't want to make it public, you know, they feel guilty about some of the things that he wrote in it in regard to his relationship to them, and maybe we'll never know about a suicide note. But one of the things that is incredibly striking to me as far as a signal, um, and there was a picture of this, So, and, and in fact, um, Robin put the, the picture of this, he posted it, um, and he went on, on June 6th, so approximately two months before he committed suicide, he went to the San Francisco Zoo. That was his last official public appearance. And he visited a howler monkey that was named after him, a monkey that was named Robin Williams. And the picture, and, and you know, on the outside of the cage of the monkey, there's a sign that says, hello, my name is Robin Williams. And there's a, the picture is of Robin looking up at the monkey who's on some uh, branches. And, um, you know, it was as if, I believe, he was saying goodbye to this monkey named after him. He was a longtime supporter of the San Francisco Zoo. And obviously, you know, he felt a special connection to the monkey that was named after him. And I think that that was his way of saying goodbye. 
So really, am I the only one who figured this out? Um, the people closer to him didn't realize that, uh, and I'm only, of course, figuring it out after his death, um, but uh, what about the people who knew him who saw that posted picture? Didn't they think that that coupled with how he had lost weight, he was, having, uh, he was sleeping 18 hours a day, up to 18 hours a day, uh, he you know, lost his appetite, obviously, um, I mean, there were all these, he was sad all the time, there were all these signs. Um, so putting that together with saying goodbye to the monkey, really, did you need a psychiatrist to figure that out? And if you did need a psychiatrist, why wasn't his wife, and I know I'm kind of coming down hard on his wife, but she didn't live with him, why didn't his wife or somebody else who was very close to him, why didn't they make sure that he was in intensive treatment with a psychiatrist? Now, you might be thinking, and maybe he, well, he might have been seeing a psychiatrist. I mean, we know he went to Hazleton, a rehab center, for his, um, to try to maintain his sobriety. Um, but, but whatever psychiatrist or, or you know, rehab center um, he, he did see, obviously did not do their job, um, did not pick up on how imminent, well, did not pick up on his, um, suicidal ideation, his thoughts of death, his plans for death. I mean, yes, can a, can a patient um, just decide that they don't want to tell a psychiatrist that they're thinking of killing themselves because they don't want anyone to stop them? Yes, of course they can. But it is up to a psychiatrist to figure out when the person is doing that and to figure out when suicide is imminent. No, they're not psychics, <laughs> but... Uh, a well-trained, experienced psychiatrist should be able to know the signs and know when someone's lying and saying, oh, no, you know, I'm not thinking about killing myself. They see what he looks like. They see how this has been going on for months, um, this severe depression, and they know what's been going on in his life, and we'll talk about that, too. Um, So you put all these things together, and they spell imminent suicide. And, you know, so what makes me angry is that is not only that people around him in his life didn't pick up on these signs, didn't bring him to a, to a hospital emergency room or call a pet team, the psychiatric emergency room, to come out to his house. I mean, you know, you can say perhaps he didn't, he refused to go to an emergency room. He was saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, and so on. But, well, obviously at some point in July... Um, he acknowledged that he wasn't fine. He went, I mean, that's the killer, yeah, so the, literally. That's the killer, that he went somewhere, a, a psychiatric facility, a rehab facility. He went somewhere for help. That's really the, the, the worst part of all this. Um, he went somewhere where people should have recognized that this was a man who was, who had been, who was committing a slow suicide for months, problems in his life besides um, his history of drug and alcohol abuse, you know, besides keeping his sobriety. I mean, didn't anyone want to know why is he now after all these years? I mean, he he was abusing drugs and alcohol in the 70s and the 80s, and he had apparently, I mean, that was the the biggest time, the the worst time, the hardest time, Um, and he apparently had recently picked up an eight-year sobriety chip at an AA meeting, an AA meeting, 
Um, so, you know, okay, he was struggling to keep that sobriety, but why? I mean, you know, sometimes in my experience of sending patients to rehab centers, um, sometimes it, it seems as though it depends on the center and so on um, and who is p- treating you at that center, but um, on the whole, a lot of times they concentrate, they focus on the sobriety itself as if that is somehow separated from all the psychological problems that, that are occurring in someone's life and not just occurring in their life at that moment, but going back to childhood, figuring out what was, you know, what was this person like? What is the makeup of their personality, which occurs in childhood? It is all the things from childhood that put a person together and that makes them an adult who has, um, who may have a personality disorder or who starts abusing drugs and alcohol um, or who may have an underlying mental illness, which I believe Robin had. I believe he was manic depressive. And so a lot of times the focus in a rehab center becomes too much on just keeping the sobriety and not looking at all the underlying issues that are making the person fragile in terms of his sobriety at that, in general and at that particular time. So we'll talk more about this when I come back. Uh, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about understanding the sad clown Robin Williams, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about Robin Williams, the sad clown, trying to understand his last, well, I was going to say his last days, but really... Uh, really, it wasn't just his last days. Um, his his suicide was took the better part of a year, and nobody stopped him. Um, 
I want to. I was talking before the break about how important it is to go back uh, to childhood, but whether it's whether it's trying to understand why someone is abusing or is feeling uh, uh, like abusing again after they've been on the wagon, why they would consider going off, what's going on in their mind. It's not just about what's happening in their life at that particular moment. It's about how that is triggering issues from their past. And so Robin Williams, apparently, as a small boy, he, um, his parents used to go out on business trips. They were fairly wealthy. And um, he would be left alone and spend hours alone in his room playing with his toys, particularly a collection of army men. You know, it's so interesting because when he had to uh, entertain himself, as a little boy, a lonely little boy, you know, we talk about he's been called the sad clown. There was a um, there was a, a, a presentation he was making, um, and someone had brought that up, and he seemed to be particularly touched by that. I mean, yes, he, and you can see that's another thing. You can see him in the photos from this past year of his life. You can look at his eyes, and probably even before that, but especially in this last year, you can look at his eyes, and even though he may be smiling, like there, he took a number of um, pictures with people, selfies, you know, well, they weren't really selfies, they were pictures that people, where people saw him, and um, they asked to take a picture with him. And so, you know, you could see he smiled for the, for the photograph um, to be nice to the person who was asking him to take a picture with them. But um, but you could see his you know his his lips were smiling, but his eyes were incredibly incredibly sad, and this was for months. I mean you know of course you could say that actually for much of his life, but especially during this past year. And in fact, one of these um, photographs was how it came out um, that he was at um, Hazelden in Minnesota because it was a, a girl who was working at a fast food place, and she asked for the photograph with him, and then I guess she posted it, and so then they knew that he was um, in this town where, where Hazleton is, and that caused his publicist to then have to acknowledge that he was at Hazleton, and he was trying to learn how to maintain his sobriety. So that, that came out, but... Um, but, you know, so these, these hours, this whole sad clown concept really started when he was a little boy. And he was a sad clown. His parents left him alone for hours as they took all these trips, business trips. Um, and, you know, he would put on a happy face then, too, to not, um, I guess, show his parents or not show the world that he was that lonely and that sad. And that must have also been a contributing factor to how he had such a, you know, a funny patter, like how he was able to go on and on uh, making jokes because he must have been doing that to amuse himself as well. You know, obviously not as sophisticated when he was a little boy, but he had to entertain himself. Now, what I think was a a bigger factor as as, um, as far as what made his creative genius was the fact that he had underlying manic depressive illness. And in so many of the, of the reports that there have been in the media after his death, um, they talk about depression. 
And yes, it seemed like that was the, the that during his last days, the overwhelming mood was depression. But I really haven't seen um, in reports, you know, in, in these recent reports regarding his death, although there had been reports, you know, over the years there had been reports about his being manic depressive, but for some reason um, they're only concentrating on the depression part of it um, after he killed himself. And, and that's kind of a complex situation, which I will explain, because um, when someone, I mean, I, I think his, his manic depressive illness, or also called nowadays bipolar illness, uh, what that means is that a person goes through periods of highs and periods of lows, so periods of mania or hypomania, you know, a little less manic than mania, um, and depression. And each person uh, with the, the mental illness um, can have different lengths of phases. Sometimes people have more frequent or longer manic phases, and sometimes people have more frequent or longer depressed phases. And um, I think that, you know, in his... Uh, the, the mania, mania or hypomania um, served him well. You know, one, one exa- great example of this is his Mork and Mindy character, Mork. Um, that he very much, I mean, that's how they knew from the beginning that he was this genius because he was able to essentially write the script himself um, off the top of his head. Well, very little of that script was actually written, or, or even that which was written, you know, he often just spontaneously went into these riffs on his own. So all of that creativity um, came from hypomanic uh, phases. Now, you know, I don't know, I and mean, it's interesting that it's been kept such a secret, but um, I don't know what, when, and how much kind, kinds of psychiatric treatment he received over his life, um, presumably he received some. I mean, certainly when he was, went through his phase of being addicted to drugs and alcohol, um, one would hope that uh, he got help. I mean, he presumably got help getting off of the drugs and the alcohol. Um, I'm pretty sure that has been documented. But whether he has been in... Um, ongoing, intensive, at least once a week psychotherapy, and for how many years? I don't know that, but obviously not enough, because um, he would have wound up ending his life like this. Um, one of the things, um, well, st- sticking with the manic depressive bipolar illness, um, you know, obviously when someone is has major depression. Um, you know, has uh, the, the depression part of ma- manic depressive illness, which is so much more, uh, I love that, the name manic depressive illness so much more than bipolar because it's much more expressive, descriptive. Um, but in any case, when he was in his depressive phases, I mean, what, what you need, what you need to treat manic depressive illness in general is, um, ideally, you need to be seeing a psychiatrist once a week um, you, both for the psychotherapy to get to the root of 
um, problems from your childhood which are causing the illness to flare up when it's triggered by uh, others, by things in your adulthood. Um, and, and also so that the psychiatrist can carefully monitor you. Because as I was saying, different people different, have, have different phases, different um, frequencies and, and different lengths of time for these different phases of mania and depression. And so to be, to be safe, you need to be seeing someone every week so that the, the psychiatrist can jump on um, the beginning signs, the early signs of hypomania before it gets into a full-blown manic attack, you know, where the person has racing thoughts, where they go on binges. Um, an example of, uh, of Robin Williams' um, hypomanic phases or manic phases are, um, you know, not only when he was binging on drugs and alcohol, but he, he ruined his marriages, his first and second marriages at least, to know about that. I don't know. It hasn't come out. Nothing's come out yet that I'm aware of in regard to his most current um, marriage. But he, he, was, he, had, he, picked, he picked bad girls. He should have read my bad girls book. He picked bad girls um, to have affairs with, like um, women who... Um, you know, one was a mistress who was in porn, another was a cocktail waitress um, and, and who wound up suing him, alleging that he gave her herpes. I mean, he picked women who really did him wrong and who wound up breaking up his marriage. Now, not that everybody who has cheats, not that everybody, men or women, who have affairs are manic depressive. But when someone is in a manic or hypomanic phase, um, they are hypersexual. They need to have a lot of sex, and so um, and that kind of makes make bad choices as to uh, sex partners, um, you know, outside their marriage. So, um, so he had a number of different symptoms. Of course, the, the main one was how we all saw him, you know, not just in Mork and Mindy, but in so many other um, uh, stand-up routines or in Good Morning Vietnam, or, you know, so many of his, of his film roles. Um, now, one of the things I think that really uh, pushed him over the edge, so to speak, was his, um, his last television show, The Crazy Ones, where um, apparently he started asking for real alcohol. He did fall off the wagon um, during that show, and he, he wanted to have uh, real alcohol in scenes, um, in certain scenes, you know, where, where he could get away with it or where they were having alcohol or, you know, whatever. And I was just reading about how he only received uh, $165,000 per episode. Now, when you think about how the cast of Friends worked their way up to getting $1 million each an episode, and Robin, not that, I mean, I loved Friends, I sometimes watch reruns, the actors are talented, nothing against Friends, but here it was a come down uh, for Robin Williams to be doing a television show altogether um, after having starred in so many hit movies, but, so here he does a television show, he's only getting 165000 per episode, when Ashton Kutcher, who I am not... Um, Ashamed to say, I believe it's a terrible, terrible replacement for uh, um, God. I for, for for the bad boy 
um, in that show. And um, and he was getting, I can't even remember how many, he, he, I think he was, he was getting more, over a million per episode. And, uh, and it, I mean, that must have really wounded his pride, hurt him, made him feel like he, he was a has-been. And then to add insult to injury, what happens? The show gets canceled after one season. So all of that must have made Robin feel as though his days, you know, his better days, his best days are gone and, um, and that he's a failure. Well, we need to take another break. Um, you're listening to Dr. Carol Punch. I'm your psychiatrist host, and stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about understanding the sad clown, Robin Williams. And um, I was talking about his last television show called The Crazy Ones, it was canceled, and and of course the um, when I was referring to Two and a Half Men and Ashton Kutcher being a sad replacement for Charlie Sheen, that's who I meant to say, um, who was fabulous, and yes, he was playing himself, but he was still fabulous in Two and a Half Men. And my point was that people like Charlie Sheen and who deserved it, but people like Ashton Kutcher were getting millions per episode, and, or at least a million, um, and, and um, Robin Williams had to uh, settle for 165000 per episode when here he had been um, an award-winning, an Oscar-winning um, movie star. And so that, of course, must have hurt his pride, and plus when the show got canceled. Now, I'll admit, I only saw... Well, you know, I only saw one episode or part of an episode of uh, The Crazy Ones. And um, from, the, from the brief um, 
part that I saw, I must say, it did seem like he had lost his spark. Uh, I'm not saying that it shouldn't necessarily have been canceled. Um, you know, it wasn't, he, he wasn't on his game. And, um, and that should have been another uh, sign to people who should have been watching, um, watching him, seeing, you know, observing him, noticing how increasingly depressed he was becoming. Um, now, I was talking about manic depressive illness and about, um, you know, treating mania and depression and, and how you need to, in weekly psychotherapy, first of all, the psychotherapy gets at the root of your problem. Medication is a Band-Aid. Yes, you need medication. You need, you need when you're manic depressive, you need three different types of medication. For the, uh, in an ongoing manner, you need a mood stabilizer. That's like lithium or lamictal or Depakote, um, and that is supposed to help the highs go down more, get a little lower, get down more to baseline, what's called euthymia, true mood, um, and, and the lows getting a little up, you know, to, to baseline, getting less depressed. So that's an ongoing uh, medication. And then when you're in a high, you need to be on an antipsychotic because hypomania or mania um, is essentially a psychotic, well, it's all, even depression becomes, can become a psychotic depression. But, um, so you, you generally need, uh, for mania, however, uh, an antipsychotic medication like uh, Abilify or Haldol or there are a gazillion of them. The, one of the earliest ones, of course, being Thorazine. We don't really use that as much these days, but um, but that's the kind of medication. It's to help you help your thoughts uh, stop racing and be more coherent. And then when you're in a depressed phase, and now that's an addition, so it's an antipsychotic uh, along with a mood stabilizer. Okay. Then when you're in a depressed phase, you need um, an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. So um, now here's the thing about, and of course there are you know, countless antidepressants, um, anything from Prozac to, you know, they're, they're just Prozac, I'm just mentioning ones that you are likely to have heard of, um, but there are countless, you know, they're, they're more and more with fewer and fewer side effects have come on the market. So, um, so, so at any one time, you are generally on a mood stabilizer and either an antipsychotic if you're in a manic or hypomanic phase, and an, a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant if you're depressed. Now, was Robin Williams on any of that? <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to find out. I mean, they, that's something that you can, of course, find out when you um, when a person dies, you know, you, you, or, or when they're alive, for that matter. It, you, can, you can measure it in their blood. Um, I don't know whether we're going to find out the details, however. But in any case, um, that brings up something else that, that is, is important to know. You know, one of the things that really, um, even, one of, even one of my pet peeves, one of the things that people have become frightened of is um, antidepressant. Well, people are unfortunate, a lot of people, unfortunately, are frightened of psychiatric medications altogether, um, most of which are not uh, addicting, addictive. Um, certainly antidepressants, antipsychotic, mood stabilizers do not cause addiction. Um, you, you don't become addicted to them. You know, medications that I don't 
uh, I try not to prescribe only when I'm getting someone off uh, other kinds of medications like Xanax and, uh, you know, a- uh, anti-anxiety medication. That is addicting. But anyhow, so the medications for bipolar, manic depressive illness are not addicting and he should have been on them. Um, so but I, I, with, with antidepressants, uh, a few years ago, there it came, some studies came out that purported to show that some antidepressants can make people commit suicide. Well, you know, first of all, it's not news. The problem is that um, when someone is super depressed and almost immobilized, you know, they sit in their room, like Robin Williams had dark curtains in his room, black curtains, a special kind of curtain that keeps the light out. You know, if someone is sitting in a room like that, sleeping 18 hours a day, um, looking like death warmed over, uh, losing weight and so on, in a, in a serious depression, you know, not really doing much, um, you... Um, Oftentimes, they, this is what kind of makes this situation with Robin sort of complicated because a lot of times they are too, um, too they lack the energy, um, you know, the, the decisiveness, the energy uh, to actually commit suicide, which is kind of interesting because when you think of the um, sort of half-hearted uh, attempt that he made by cutting his wrist, or trying to cut his wrist, um, you know, he, he didn't make severe enough cuts to have lost enough blood to have that worked. So there was kind of hesitation, a half-hearted attempt, at least at the beginning. <laughs> um, but so what happens is when, when people are, I'm not talking about ramen specifically now, but in general, when people are in a super severe depression and they don't have enough, um, psychological energy, physical energy, it doesn't, you know, nothing takes that much physical energy to, to slug down a bottle of pills, but, but, but they, they can't, like, get up enough decisiveness or energy to, to, to kill themselves. And what happens is, if you give somebody um, a bunch of antidepressants and you're not seeing them either at least once a week, or not putting them in the hospital where they can't hurt themselves, sometimes people who were too, um, who, who, were, who lacked the energy to actually go forth and kill themselves suddenly get this spurt of energy in the early phases of, of getting an antidepressant that, that is working, let's say. Um, but in, these early, in the early phase, they suddenly get a spurt of energy and they, they follow through on their suicidal ideation, and they kill themselves. So the, the, our antidote to that, the solution for that, isn't not taking antidepressants, because as you know, we can see, um, you can actually, you know, the, the, the end of, of depression, the ultimate depression, is suicide. I mean, that's the ultimate act of depression. So the answer is, giving, of course, giving someone antidepressants when they're in a depressed phase, but having them, uh, giving them enough supervision, especially in these early phases when they move from the super depressed phase to a, to a, a less depressed phase, 
putting them in enough supervision, whether that means having them, I mean, certainly anyone with suicidal thoughts should be in a hospital. And certainly if they have suicidal plans, they've figured out how they might do it, certainly they need to be in the hospital. So when you're giving someone antidepressants, if they're in a hospital setting or if they're seeing a psychiatrist frequently enough, which may be at the very least once a week, but maybe every day. Of course, you know, uh, to really, if someone needs to be seeing a psychiatrist every day, they should be in the hospital. But, like, you know, you have to sort of, you have to, you have to judge. You have to, and it's better to err on the side of caution. That is, it's better to err on the side of putting someone in the hospital, even if it means against their will, on a 72-hour hold, which means it's three days where the person is an involuntary patient. You have put them in the hospital against their will, and at the end of three days, they get to have a court hearing with a judge or a person who represents the court, and if the patient wants to leave, they present why they think they're okay to leave, and the psychiatrist and the staff in the hospital present why they think the patient needs to stay for more time. And if the, the person representing the court um, agrees that they say they should stay in the hospital, they're in for 14 days. And then at the end of 14 days, they have another hearing with someone from the court. And the patient presents, you know, why they think they're all better and should be able to leave. And the psychiatrist and the hospital staff present why they think that they're still not uh, ready to leave. You know, they think basically you, you can be put on a hold if you're a danger to self, that's suicidal, or a danger to others, that's homicidal, or gravely disabled, which means you can't um, arrange for a roof and food and clothing, the basic necessities of life. If you're not able to arrange that for yourself and not because you're poor, but, you know, you can't sort of get it together mentally to, to arrange for proper eating and proper uh, proper roof shelter, or even if it's a homeless shelter, but a shelter um, for yourself, then that's gravely disabled. Now, okay, obviously Robin Williams was not gravely disabled, but he was obviously a danger to self. And somebody should have acted on that. Um, and if he didn't voluntarily go, although, as I was saying before, he did voluntarily go to the Hazleton Clinic. And so somebody there should have taken advantage of the fact that he was already in a mental health facility to have made sure that he was treated. Now, was he given med the medications that I was talking about, uh, a mood stabilizer or an antipsychotic or an antidepressant? I mean, looking at his condition, you know, uh, it seemed more that he needed a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant. He certainly didn't see in his last scene, in his last days, as if he was hypomanic. Um, so it seemed as though he should have been on an antidepressant under appropriate supervision and, uh, and, and a general mood stabilizer. And because he wasn't and uh, he was able to... He was able to end his life and um, create, you know, not only take a, an incredible talent away from the world, but um, from his family, his children, who clearly, uh, deeply miss him. So I'm, I'm going through all the details of this so that... Um, you know, as a as kind of a, a way of, of getting this message across uh, to all of you, if you know somebody who has these kinds of symptoms, 
um, you know, is in this kind of situation, or if you yourself, you know, are dealing with these kinds of issues, at least you'll know how to get help, that you need to get help, and what you should expect and ask for. We need to take another break. You're listening to Dr. Carol Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today, uh, trying to help you understand the sad clown, Robin Williams, honoring him, trying to help you all and people that you know and care about by talking about some of these complex issues. Um, you know, there, his wife, Robin Williams' wife, came out after he died a few days later. She came out and said that he was battling Parkinson's. Well, you know, I, it, it's not clear that, that, that he was actually diagnosed with Parkinson's because sometimes some medications, like the anti, some of the antipsychotics, for some patients and some doses, sometimes can present symptoms that are um, a little similar to Parkinson's, like a little bit of a tremor uh, if you're taking it for years, you know, or it depends upon the patient, but you can, or what's called cogwheel rigidity, you know, with your arm being um, a cogwheel, like, you know, uh, it's hard to explain <laughs> on the radio, like <laughs> Like pulling it down, you know, it, it, when you go to move it down, uh, move your forearm down from your, from your shoulder kind of thing, it's like it, it kind of stops in, as, as if it was a cogwheel, like little cogs. <laughs> I don't, I, you can understand that. Um, and then, but so, so it could have been a, um, uh, a side effect of um, an antipsychotic that he was taken, had taken years ago. There are medications for to counteract that side effect. Um, so that's not generally, that isn't a problem or a side effect that, that gets someone to not take an antipsychotic if they need one. I mean, that can be handled. 
Um, there's also a question uh, or a speculation of whether he may have had or, or gotten a diagnosis or suspected that he had. I don't think, he, I don't think it's that he got a diagnosis, but he may have suspected that he had a brain tumor because he supposedly um, was having a lot of severe headaches in the months or months uh, sometime <laughs> in the days before he killed himself. So there's speculation about that. You know, could he have suspected that he had a brain tumor, even if it wasn't diagnosed? And, you know, he was feeling like what... Because, yes, um, someone has actually said that um, he told he told them that there was... He, he didn't... I have nothing left to live for. Supposedly, um, one, of his, one of his neighbors um, said that this is what... Uh, Robin Williams told him, or a close friend actually, um, said that Robin told him, I have nothing, or her, I have nothing left to live for. And, you know, you can kind of imagine that in terms of his career was what I was talking about before. And um, also there's the whole, there's, uh, apparently he was in financial problems. Um, he, his two divorces, his two marriages that ended in divorce, undoubtedly because he was cheating, um, uh, cost him $30 million each. And so he supposedly put his Napa mansion um, on the market and he was trying to sell it for $30 million, but so far no one had bought it. Um, so he, w- he was having financial problems as well. And you've got to wonder, I mean, he's obviously having marital problems um, because the pictures taken, uh, he and his wife, um, his third wife, um, at a restaurant a few days before he killed himself where they both are looking. She had her uh, hand to her head and he had his hand across, like across his heart, you know, which is, if you read body language, which is kind of symbolic of that he was keeping his heart away from her, protecting his heart. Um, why were they sleeping in separate beds totally at, at opposite angles, you know, diagonally across his big mansion? I mean, yes, sometimes people sleep in, in separate, it's never good, it's never a good sign or never a good plan, but sometimes people sleep in separate beds because, because one of them snores or, you know, there could, or there could be reasons, but again, it's never, never a good sign, it's a red flag, the marriage is in trouble, but also he had his room, as I was saying before, covered with black drapes and he was sleeping up to 18 hours a day, so, you know, I guess that made him not a great um, roommate. But um, so I believe he was having serious marital problems as well, and um, apparently the the night before um, he killed himself, he and his wife went to see a ceramics exhibit at an art gallery near where he lived in um, in Northern California, and there are pictures, there are photographs from from that, and he you know he looks like death warmed over, um, and of course you wonder though it makes me wonder. What specifically happened at that art gallery? So first of all, it, you know, there are a number of people. It's a pretty filled exhibit. And, uh, but he, he's not really, he's not standing next to his wife. She's talking to somebody else. He's not talking to anyone. He's looking very like a fad clown, very alone in this room full of people. And, um, <sighs> It was it was foreshadowing. I, well, I mean, it was consistent with all the months before, quite frankly, 
But, um, you know, I, I make you wonder what happened that night. What was the final trigger? Did he have an argument with his wife? Did he, of course, we'll never know that, uh, or it's unlikely that we'll know that. She would tell the media that. Um, did he have bad news that day? You know, did he hear, was he, was something else canceled in terms of his career, or did he, did he lose a movie project? He supposedly had a bunch of movie projects um, that were to come that he was, you know, I don't know how definite the contracts were, um, but maybe he got bad news from some movie project that went down the tubes. I, I have no idea, but obviously something, some final um, disappointment happened that night that made him, when he went into his room, said goodbye to his wife or goodnight to his wife at 10.30, somehow between not long after 10.30 from what the coroner you know, said as far as how long the body was dead, um, not long after, he took his own life. So you got to wonder what, what was the final thing and could it have been prevented? And again, if he had been in treatment, you know, there wouldn't have been a final thing. I mean, whatever was bothering him, whatever final things, whatever things had been building up, he would have been talking to his psychiatrist about. It's also interesting. Apparently, there, according to some reports, he was taking something called Idrisil, which is described as a medical marijuana pill, and so he was self-medicating. Now, that, that's very interesting because I was talking about some people can be, when they're manic-depressive, they can be in mixed manic and depressed phases. In other words, have some uh, traits of, of mania and some traits of depression at the same time. So um, hearing that, that he was taking self-medicating with this medical marijuana pill, it makes me wonder whether he was using that to quiet the mania or hypomania and, um, that he was experiencing. And, um, you know, at the same time as he was severely depressed. That's very possible. And, and, and it's so complex, which is why you need to be in really intensive treatment with a psychiatrist. Not getting medication from your general practitioner. You know, if people could, if general practitioners, if you could be a psychiatrist, um, without going to psychiatric residency for three or four years. Um, I mean, you know, in other words, for three or four years of psychiatric residency, to be a psychiatrist, you obviously learn something more than a, someone learns just to be a general practitioner when you don't do any kind of specialized training after. And that's one of the most serious problems um, that so many people just go, they don't want the this, this stigma, not that it should be a stigma these days, but they don't want the stigma of going to a psychiatrist or um, they don't want to think they're that sick. You know, do I have to be crazy to see a psychiatrist? And the answer is no. Um, some signs of depression that you should look out for in yourself and in people you care about are appetite, uh, to eating too much or too little, sleeping too much or too little, having decreased interest or pleasure in general things that you used to enjoy in your life, have, being sad all of the time, having suicidal thoughts. Do you, do you think about, you know, I would be better off dead or if I wasn't afraid <laughs> uh, to kill myself, I'd kill myself or uh, words to that effect, light well, or like what Robin Williams um, said, I have nothing left to live for. If you start having those feelings, it is a red, red flag that you need to get help. You should try to contact a psychiatrist 
get some referrals to go to a psychiatrist near, near you. There's also some suicide prevention helplines, such as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. And also you can go to the website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Well, I hope this helps. I hope it helps for you to, to add to. I know it's a very complex situation. I don't have all the answers as to what was uh, happening in those final days. With, you know, there are some things we don't know yet um, or we may never know, but certainly I have provided to you um, a lot of the complex things that were most likely swimming around Robin Williams' head when he decided to take his own life. Well, I hope I've helped you understand the sad clown, Robin Williams. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 